This is Ronald Coleman inviting you to radio's most dramatic half hour, Favorite Story. We're going to take you for a ride. No, not the kind of ride you might get from a gangster. That could be a very relaxing experience compared with what happens on this ride. You'll be accompanied by a headless horseman, the woman in white, and every moaning and groaning ghost of the eastern seaboard. As you may have guessed, our favorite story this week is Washington Irving's Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Before this half hour is over, Ichabod Crane will again shiver through the Sleepy Hollow graveyard on the most frightful mission of his life. Yes, the adventure of Ichabod Crane is one of the finest stories from the early days of this republic. And we were very happy when our good friend Walter Houston chose it as his favorite story. Walter has brought to life many of the characters of colonial days, among them Rip Van Winkle and Peter Stuyvesant in Knickerbocker Holiday. Now, are you ready? We're going to the one spot in these United States which is a collector's item for lovers of good nightmares. Its name is Sleepy Hollow. It's a small glen on the east bank of the Hudson River, not far from Tarrytown, New York. One of the quietest places in the world. And on summer afternoons, one of the loveliest. But on dark nights, it changes. You can hear strange music and voices in the air. And stars fall and meteors shoot more often across this valley than in any other part of the country. Listen. Well, maybe it's the wind. Maybe not. But folks from Tarrytown will tell you it's a British major, Andre by name, who was caught by the Americans with the wrong papers in his boots on the wrong side of the lines. He's there to this day, all bloody with a great rent in his uniform, hanging from a tulip tree in Sleepy Hollow. Oh, that? Well, it might be the sound the brook makes as it eddies past that rock. Or it might be the woman in white who perished a century ago in the snow, in the dark, in Sleepy Hollow. Why don't you visit there some night when the sky is black? It's at Raven Rock you'll find her. And if you listen well, you'll hear her soft voice wailing in the darkness. You'll hear her soft voice wailing in the darkness. But the most famous of all the legends of Sleepy Hollow concerns a Hessian soldier who, for three pounds ten a month, came to this quiet valley to fight for King George III. And that sound? Well, maybe it's thunder. Maybe... Or it could be an ancient echo of a cannonball, a blast which hit that Hessian trooper in the days of the Great Revolution and carried away his... his head. And anybody, anybody who's been within a hundred miles of this famous hollow will tell you that the Hessian trooper, the headless horseman, rides in search of his head.
far from Sleepy Hollow, there's a schoolhouse. And early in our country's history, it had a schoolmaster, name of Ichabod Crane. All right, children, repeat after me. A penny saved is a penny earned. A penny saved is a penny earned. Very good, very good. Next, a stitch in time saves nine. A stitch in time saves nine. Excellent. Now, honesty is the best policy. Why? Why is honesty the best policy? Why, young man? Why, indeed? Because the honest man sleeps at night with no ghost to haunt him. Now, let us have this maxim, and all together now, honesty is the best policy. That was very good, very good. Now, if you'll turn Hey, give me that. Aha. Ow. No spitballs in my classroom. You'll remember that, boy, and thank me for it the longest day you live. Now, class, we will... Yes, yes, who is it? Uh, Mr. Ichabod, can I see you, Mr. Ichabod? Certainly, certainly. Children, I'm stepping out of the room for a moment. You will turn to page 74 in your book of maxims and begin to memorize the first three on the page. In silence. Oh, you're the, the hired man over the Van Tassels, aren't you? Has, has Katrina sent me a love message? Uh, Miss Katrina and her papa sent me over to tell you that you were supposed to come over to their house tonight. They do? Uh, I mean, I am. Uh, they'll be holding a quilt and frolic. Oh, how lovely. How perfectly lovely. Who else is invited? Well, let's see. There'll be the Mullers and Crosses and uh, Mr. Van Ripper and Mr. Brown and his lady. Oh, yes. Anyone else? Any other <clears throat> men? Uh, if you mean Mr. Brom Bones, is he coming? Yes, is Brom Bones coming too? <laughs> uh, he'll be there, sure. Saw him curing his horse a little while ago. Sure looks good on that horse, don't he, though? He's the handsomest fellow I ever yes, did see. Yes, yeah, that's all. That's enough. I know all about Brom Bones. Katrina and her father want to see us both together. That's so they can perceive how much more desirable I would be for a husband and son-in-law than Brom Bones, yes. That's it. That's exactly it. Uh, it starts early, right at sundown. Uh, Miss Katrina says you shouldn't be late. Oh, I'll be there on time in plenty of time. And ahead of Brom Bones, too. Mr. Van Ripper. Huh? Oh, you startled me, Ichabod. Oh, I'm sorry, What do you Mr. want, you scarecrow? Whatever you want, the answer's no. Uh, Mr. Van Ritter, I'm going to a quilting frolic this evening. Where? At Mr. Van Tassel's farm. And the old boy invited you? Yes, yes. He must be crazier than I thought. I fancy he's invited me for his daughter, Katrina Van Tassel. Then he has gone crazy. There, 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 there's one favor I want to ask you, Mr. Van Ripper. I'll be returning rather late this evening, and Van Tassel's is quite far, and I, I should like to borrow a horse. Oh, you would? Yes. Well, my first answer would be no. Oh. But if I lend you a horse, there is the possibility that you might fall out of the saddle and break your neck, which would end the plague of Ichabod Crane in the whole countryside. So, for the possible betterment of the community, I will lend you a horse, Ichabod. You will? Uh-huh. Well, that's, that's very generous of you, Mr. Van Ripper. Uh, what, what horse am I to use? The large roan with the white forehead? The, the gray mare? No, the... no, no. I have a much better horse in mind for you, Ichabod. <laughs> really? Gunpowder is the horse for you. Gunpowder. That's right. But he's slightly swayback, isn't he? Better for speed. And a, a little blind. Sharp ears, that horse. Doesn't he limp? 
Best for riding in hilly country. Knows his way around. Oh, yes, but perhaps if you could let me have a different horse. You mean you don't want to accept gunpowder? No, 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 no. Certainly not indeed. No, I... Well, then it's all settled. You ride gunpowder. Yes, I ride gunpowder. Beautiful afternoon, gunpowder. A beautiful afternoon. Oh, and tonight. Oh, tonight. Katrina Van Tassel and I will dance and eat and... <laughs> Do you know what else? Oh. oh, but of course you couldn't. Oh, no. You're just a horse. Tonight, gunpowder, I'm going to kiss Katrina. Oh, oh you're wrong, gunpowder, I am. I definitely am going to kiss Katrina tonight. <laughs> oh, Katrina and I will be married, married, married. Katrina and I will be married before the winter's up, before the winter's up. Katrina and I will be married, and I will be rich. <laughs> yes, nice, nice, yes, very nice. <sighs> Katrina? Ichabod is just asked me to dance with him. He's a very good dancer. 
It's a bar. This is our dance. Oh, yes, yes, this is our dance. Come along, Katrina. See you later, Mr. Bone. Master is doing pretty well, Brian. Yeah. No offense. Wonder how that undernourished little suckling could dance off with the prettiest girl here. Undernourished? That school teacher has the appetite of a baby elephant. I watched him at the table, and he didn't stop until he'd completely demolished one whole hind quarter of the two-year sow. Plump as a partridge, she is. Fresh 18. And prettiest foot and ankle in the country around. Father's rich, too. Any man marry her, do himself fine for life. <laughs> ah, she's taking a fancy to that goose of a schoolmaster. Why don't you get rid of Ichabod? Kill him? I couldn't do that. There are less drastic ways of getting rid of people, but just as permanent. From, I wonder if the schoolmaster believes in ghost stories. Well, what if he does? Seen him hurrying home at night, scared of his own shadow. Trembles. Always trembles. Yeah? What does that to do with me? There's one answer for you, Brom boy. Scare him out of town. Think it over, Brom. Scare him out of town. Scare him out of town. Yes. And the rest of the boys will help you. We'll all help you. Scare him. Out of town. We're bringing you Walter Houston's favorite story this week, Washington Irving's Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And it brings us into intimate acquaintance with the slightly objectionable schoolmaster, Ichabod Crane. And since Ichabod is making eyes at one of the most beautiful young ladies in the neighborhood... Certain envious young gentlemen from thereabouts would like to get rid of Ichabod. And they're going to work on him right now, in the sitting room of the Van Tassels. Here's favorite story, Act Two. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, now, now. You know, it's all right to be with women for food, dancing, singing. <laughs> But when it comes to storytelling, well, no women. <laughs> Don't need women for storytelling. You, Hans, you always have a good tale to tell. Yes, Van Ripper, tell us. Yes, uh, tell us, Mr. Van Ripper. Well, that tulip tree in the center of Hollow Road, Major Andre's tree. You know it, Ichabod? Um, Major Andre's tree, yes. Uh -huh. I've seen him. All bloody, with a great rent in his uniform. Hanging on that tulip tree. And some nights, if the wind's just right, and the air's cool, and you haven't your wits about you, you'll hear his great voice throwing out his mighty curse. Stay! Stay here with me! Forever! Forever? That's a long time. Uh, but what about the lost woman? The lost woman? Yes, yes. At Raven Rock, you'll find her of any evening. Just as she was that night when she perished in the snow. And she comes back, oh yes, and you'll hear a soft voice wailing in the darkness, wailing in the darkness. My, what an unpleasant thing to do, isn't it? Gentlemen, there's no story to compare with the one about the headless Hessian. 
Headless Hessian. His body was buried in the churchyard. But every night he goes riding, looking for his head. Gallops all over the countryside. Galloping Hessian. Galloping Hessian. Headless horseman. Headless horseman? Been seen lately, too. On his black horse. All in black. And no head. No head. Mine. No head. Just moonlight where his head should have been. Wasn't more than two months ago I met this galloping Hessian. You did, Brom? He had his head with him, but he was carrying it under his arm. What, what, what did you do? Do? Why, I just looked right at him and where his head wasn't. And I told him my horse, Daredevil, could outrun any horse in the valley. And I offered to race him. To actually race the headless horseman? Sure, I raced him. But he gave up, because he knew he couldn't beat my horse, Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> Weren't you frightened? Mr. Brom Bones frightened me? I'm not scared of anything. Not even of ghosts without heads? With or without a head. No ghost can scare me. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'd be frightened either. You love me, Katrina. Katrina, my love. I'm not your love. I never was, and I never shall be. But but tonight you acted. You were invited tonight only to help Mr. Brom Bones make up his mind about me, and I never. Brom Bones, you only wanted me here to make him jealous. No. Now, Mr. Van Tassel. Oh, this is what you're doing, come on, Brad. Now, now, Mr. Van Tassel, Katrina and I were only. Out, Mr. Ickerman. Brad, out, please. Out, 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 I say. You old flea-bitten nag, we're leaving here. Well, horse, come, come, move. Move. Spend all your time dreaming of mountains of corn and oats and whole valleys of timothy and clover. Oh, move. We must get home sometime tonight. What was that? What? Just just a hoot owl, I guess. Gunpowder, don't waste time. Let's get home. We must get home. 
So Katrina and I won't be married. Won't be married. Why do you stop, horse? Move, move. It's, it's Major Andre's tree. Oh. oh. I've seen him. All bloody, with a great rent in his uniform, hanging on that tree. Oh, gracious me. And some nights, if the wind's just right and the air's cool, you'll hear his great voice throwing out his mighty curse. Oh, dear. Stay! Stay! All you souls, stay here with me forever. Move, gunpowder. Get a move on. Uh, what? 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 It's a Draven Rock, you pioneer of a winter evening. Just as she was that night, she perished in the storm. Oh, merciful heaven. And she comes back, and you'll hear her soft voice wailing in the darkness. His body was buried in the churchyard, but every night he goes riding, looking for his head. Lord, protect me. I looked right at him where his head wasn't, and I told him that my horse, Daredevil, could outrun any horse in the valley, and I offered to race him. Gracious no head. Just moonlight where his head should have been. Oh. Headless horseman of Sleepy Hollow. Oh, dear. Galloping ghost. Galloping. No head. No head at all. No head at all. Headless. Headless. Headless horseman of sleepy hollow. Oh, oh, there he is. Gunpowder, if you ever lived up to your name, do it now. Gunpowder, this is no time to stand still. Move, you old bone bag. Oh, he's coming. Closer, closer, closer. He, he has no head. It's the headless horseman. He's carrying his head under his arm. No, 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 don't throw it. If you ever were a human being, don't throw your head at me. Don't throw your head at me. Oh, no! home from your party the other night. Ichabod? He left in a great hurry, too. Funny thing. Found gunpowder, the horse I lent him, grazing in my far pasture the next morning. I wonder what became of Ichabod. Well, uh, oh, hello, Brom. Hello, hello. Just telling Katrina I haven't seen hide nor hair of Ichabod Crane since the party the other night. No? Telling her how I found his hat in the pasture by the church. Oh, yes, and a squashed pumpkin. <laughs> And squashed pumpkin. <laughs> yeah, well, Brahma, I, I don't understand. <laughs> Hat and squashed pumpkin, and no Ichabod Crane. No Ichabod Crane. 
Guess we'll have to get a new schoolmaster. Uh, yeah, yes, I, I guess we will. <laughs> Katrina and I will want our children to be educated. Oh, <laughs> Rob, <laughs> no one is supposed to know we're going to be married. Well, I, I think it's all right. Uh, did you say squashed pumpkin about the size of a man's head? Why, yes. <laughs> now, do you suppose that that had anything to do with the strange disappearance of Mr. Ichabod Crane. <laughs> to this day, legend has it in Tarrytown, New York, that Mr. Ichabod Crane took a very sudden trip. When last seen, he was headed west in a great hurry. Nobody knows just where he stopped traveling west, but if you should drop into a schoolroom in the city of San Francisco... You might hear the children to this day saying... Honesty is the best policy. And in a school in Hawaii, an island that lies far to the west of Sleepy Hollow and Tarrytown, New York, you can hear other children say... A penny saved is a penny earned. And travelers will tell you, on good authority, that somewhere in a mission school in central China, about as far west as you can go before you start heading back towards Sleepy Hollow again... Certain Chinese children recite this maxim. And so we take our leave of the legended schoolmaster of Sleepy Hollow. The young man who played Ichabod in our favorite story is not only one of Hollywood's best young character actors but also a famous songwriter whose popular tunes you've heard many times over your radio. His name is Sidney Miller. Claude Sweeten conducted the favorite story orchestra, and Walter Houston chose The Legend of Sleepy Hollow as his particular favorite story. Next week, Cloak and Dagger. Yes, we have a real swashbuckler for our next favorite story broadcast. The Three Musketeers of Alexandra Dumas, chosen as the favorite story of the former heavyweight boxing champion of the world, Mr. Gene Tunney. If you tune this way next week, you'll meet the indestructible D'Artagnan and many other old friends from the pages of The Three Musketeers. We hope you'll be listening. This is Laurence Olivier. Today's play has been adapted from a story by Oscar Wilde. It is a little comedy. It was, of course, written many years ago, and my friends in America will, I'm sure, accept the jest in the spirit in which it was written. I myself will play the ghost in Oscar Wilde's The Canterville Ghost. <laughs>
Allow me to introduce myself. I am the Canterville Ghost. The ghost of Sir Simon de Canterville, who murdered his wife, the Lady Eleonora de Canterville. Uh, here, in this very room, close on 400 years ago. Through 13 English reigns, I had haunted the halls and corridors of Canterville Chase, and from generation to generation, I had struck terror into the hearts of the English nobility. Lords had been driven out of their minds by me. Ladies had died of fright. My career had been brilliant and uh, uninterrupted. At last, I had been almost too successful. No more tenants for Canterville Chase could be found. I had only the housekeeper to frighten. And then, one day, in 1888, the shutters were flung back again. Canterville Chase found a new tenant. Well, Mr. Otis, I'm glad you liked the old place. Quite a few hundred years of history have gone to the making of Canterville. My ancestors have lived here since the days of Richard Coeur de Leon. Is that right? Yes. I uh, see. Wouldn't that be about the time of Columbus, Lord Canterville? 300 years before Columbus, Mr. Otis. Well, what do you know about that? Uh, do you hear that, Mama? 300 years before Columbus. Hey, hey, you sure have plenty of history over here in the old country. You sure have to lay on plenty of plumbing. Yes, I guess that's right, too. But now, well, sir, this is just the sort of place I've been looking for, plumbing or no plumbing. Now, we'll take it. Well, Mr. Otis, there is um, just one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's only fair to warn you about it. I mean the Canterville ghost. What? You mean you have a ghost as well? Yes, I'm afraid so. Well. My uh, grand-aunt, the Dowager Duchess of Bolton, was frightened into a fit by it as she was dressing for dinner. Two skeleton hands on her shoulders as she was dressing for dinner. Well, she never really recovered. No kidding. Well, I'm afraid not. No, no, no. Several members of my family have seen it, as well as the rector of the parish. Uh, Reverend Augustus Damper, he's a fellow of King's College, Cambridge. Massachusetts? No, madam, no matter. England, England. Since then, to tell the truth, we haven't cared to uh, live in the place ourselves. None of our younger servants would stay. There are mysterious noises in the corridors and here in the library. Mrs. Umney here will bear me out. Horrible noises, sir, groans, and horrible ghostly laughter. Uh, well, Lord Canterville, I'll take the furniture and the ghost and a valuation, eh? Now, I come from a modern country where we have everything that money can buy, yeah. and I reckon that if there were such a thing as a genuine ghost in Europe, we'd have it at home in one of our public museums, or in a roadshow uh, by now, yes. Well, I fear that the ghost exists, Mr. Otis. It's been well known for centuries, since 1584, in fact. It always makes its appearance before the death of a member of the family. <laughs> well, so does the family doctor, for that matter. But, uh, sir, there's no such thing as a ghost. And I guess the laws of nature are not going to be suspended for the British aristocracy. <laughs> Lord's sake, what was that, Hiram? Oh, one of the kids, Mama, trying to throw a scare into you. They're out back there in the lobby, I guess. Well, right here, Pop. Hmm? We didn't do nothing on us, Pop. Eh? Well, you're not scaring me any, son. Uh, well, where's Virginia? Out in the garden, Pop. Well, okay, then. So it was a ghost. Now, come along. You run along and play while I talk business with Lord Canterville here. Say, Mom, look at this red stain on the floorboards here. Where? Why, yes, indeed. I'm afraid something must have been spilt here. Yes, madam. Blood has been spilt on that spot. But how horrid. I don't at all care for blood stains in the living room. It must be removed at once. It's the blood of Lady Eleanor de Canterville, madam, who was murdered on that very spot by her husband in 1575. 
Sir Simon de Canterville, that was. I beg your pardon, my lord. Yes, well, um, <clears throat> Sir Simon survived her nine years and disappeared suddenly under very mysterious circumstances. Yes, his uh, body's never been discovered, my friend. You've never cleaned up the mess? Sir Simon's spirit still haunts the chase, sir. The bloodstains have been much admired by tourists and others and cannot be removed. Yes. Eh? Well, why, that's all nonsense. Pinkerton's champion stain remover and paragon detergent would clean it up in no time. And you should always have a bottle handy like I do. You see. Now, just watch this, eh? And then. There you are. <laughs> I knew Pinkerton would do it, eh? There you are. No stain oh, left at sir, all. Oh, sir, you didn't have done that, sir. It isn't right, sir. Oh, well, 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 I really must be going, Mr. Otis. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Canterville Chase had some new tenants at last. And as the Americans would say, my business was looking up again. All my greatest successes came back to me again. The Dowager Duchess, Madame de Tremouillac, who had seen me reading her diary by the firelight. The beautiful Lady Stutfield, who wore a black velvet band round her throat to hide the burning mark of my skeleton fingers. She drowned herself at last in the carp pond at the end of the King's Walk. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, indeed. New tenants were here, and every morning I had a surprise for them. Hey, Pop, that stain's back on the floor again, Pop, just like it's been every morning. Eh? Well, son, that's mighty queer. Mighty queer. I, darn it, you know, I've, I've locked this room every night. And every morning the stain's back there on the floor, just like we never rubbed it out each time. You know something, Pop? It's hmm. a different color again. Eh? Why, now that's queer too, son. First dark red, then scarlet, then sort of uh, purple. See what it is today, Pop? It's bright green. But for heaven's sake, who ever heard of green blood? Well, that's right, Mom. This is getting monotonous. Well, it's lucky we still have a lot more bottles of Pinkertons. So here we go again. <laughs> that very night, I made my first appearance. I chose my role very carefully. Mad Matthew, the starveling ghoul, with eyes like burning coals. Long gray hair falling over my shoulders in matted coils. My garments of an antique cut, soiled and ragged and phosphorescent. From my wrists and ankles hung heavy manacles and rusty jives. And then, dragging my chains along the cold stone floor, I made for the corridor outside the American's bedroom. Hiram, there's someone out there in the corridor. Huh? I... Now this is too much. Now, see here. Look, my dear sir. Those chains of yours are making a terrible noise, and it's past one o'clock. Mrs. Otis and I can't get any sleep. Now, I really must insist on your oiling them. Now, look here. I brought you for that purpose a small bottle of the Tammany Rising Sun Lubricator. Now, it's said to be completely efficacious upon one application, and there are several testimonials to that effect on the wrapper from some of our most eminent native divines. Now, I'll leave it here for you by the bedroom candles, and I'll be happy to supply you with more should you require it. Now, good night, sir. 
Now, see here, sir. Elmer, what are you thinking of? Showing pillars at the ghost. You've broken a picture. And he's dropped his bottle of Rising Sun Lubricator. Get back to bed at once. Never in 300 years had I been so grossly insulted. As there was evidently no time to lose before further indignities, I adopted the fourth dimension and retired through the wainscoting. On reaching my secret chamber in the left wing, I leaned up against a moonbeam to recover my breath. I, who had made a butler shoot himself in the pantry merely by tapping on a window pane with a green hand, I, given a bottle of rising sun lubricator and having a pillow shied at my head. Very well, we would see. Next Sunday evening, the Kenilworth Spectre in full suit of armor. Say, what's going on out there? Hey. Put up your hands there. Come on, I've got you covered. Oh, my shin. Stop. He's been trying on that little old suit of armor, and he's fallen over the halberd. Well, quick, boy, get me the liniment. Uh, Dr. Dobbles. Are you all right now? <laughs> For heaven's sake, it must be something internal. Now, you try some of this tincture. If it's indigestion, it'll cure it as quick as quick. <laughs> Reaching my room, I entirely broke down and became a prey to the most violent agitation. The vulgarity of these Americans, their utter materialism, was almost more than I could bear. I had hoped that even modern Americans would have been affected by a specter in armor. If only out of respect for that national poet Longfellow, which I myself had the highest respect for. If only I hadn't fallen over. Well, I would terrify them before I'd finished. I would make them run screaming before me on the one night of the year when they must be afraid of ghosts on Halloween. What have you been doing all this afternoon? Nothing, Virginia. Why? You've been up to something. I know. Honest, Virginia, I didn't do anything. Well, all right, then. Come on down to the kitchen. Mom has a big pail of Halloween apples for us to bob for. Okay, I'm coming. <laughs> this Halloween, they will see a sight that would freeze the blood in their veins. A green, ice-cold corpse that crawled before them with white bleached bones and one rolling eyeball. I was to play my favorite role, Dumb Daniel, or the Suicide Skeleton. Making my way silently down the corridor, I followed them towards the stairs. No. No, no, they would expect me to appear at the head of the stairs. This way, then, round this corner, where... It's a ghost! What's the matter? What is it? it? Well, I'll be doggone. Look at that. That uh, did you rig this up, son? Uh, yeah, Pop. Well, now that's mighty smart. A real Halloween ghost of your own, eh? Sure, Pop. A sure pumpkin thing. head with a candle in it and a bed quilt on a broomstick. Well, what do you know? <laughs> uh, what's this note to say here? 
Read it, read it, Pop. Oldie Otis Ghostie. Yeah, Ye yeah. only true and originally spook. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that's mighty smart work, son. Well, it sure scared the pants off the Canterville ghost, Pop. <laughs> I guess you can say that again, son. He sure did yell, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Tricked, fooled, outwitted. In a moment, we continue Theatre Royal with Sir Lawrence Olivier. We'd like to remind you of the great listening entertainment in store tomorrow on NBC. When the noted Italian maestro Guido Contelli leads the world-famous NBC Symphony in another brilliant concert from Carnegie Hall. The famed conductor offers the works of Handel and Schubert, featuring the latter's Symphony No. 7 in C major. Later Sunday, NBC invites you to hear a special resume of the year's history-making news on Voices and Events, 1953. You'll hear the voices of such world figures as Eisenhower, Churchill, and Stalin as top NBC commentators bring you news highlights of the year on Voices and Events, 1953. And remember to join NBC's Sunday newspaper of the air, Weekend, the only paper you can safely enjoy while driving in your car. Top notables from the news and entertainment world join to bring you all the news of the week in review, along with feature items on home, fashion, and sports. You'll meet Merrill Muller, Elmo Roper, and Earl Godwin with commentary on local and world news highlights, while Earl Wilson covers the Broadway beat. And Mel Allen reports on what's new in sports. And there's a special feature in store on NBC Star Playhouse tomorrow when film star Margaret O'Brien portrays the title role in the whimsical Lewis Carroll tale, Alice in Wonderland. Later, enjoy the make-believe tale, A Stroke of Fate, a special historical series that shows how a single event may have altered the entire course of a nation. Try to imagine what might have happened if the famous Battle of Hastings had not succeeded during that all-important Norman conquest of England. That stroke of fate, part of your fine listening entertainment, tomorrow on NBC. And now we continue Theatre Royal with Sir Lawrence Olivier. On the day of all hallows, I must admit that I was very weak and tired. The terrible excitement of the last four weeks was beginning to have its effect. My nerves were completely shattered, and I started at the slightest noise. For five days, I kept to my room, and at last made up my mind to give way over the bloodstain on the library floor. If the Otis family did not want it, they clearly did not deserve it. The question of my appearances was another matter, and really not under my control. As I saw it, it was my solemn duty to appear in the corridors once a week and to gibber from the large oriel window on the first and third Wednesday in every month. I could not honorably escape from the obligations. I determined on one last fling. Ha, 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 ha,
office was becoming intolerable. Wishing to make an effective entrance, I had flung the wretched child's bedroom door wide open when a heavy jug of water fell down on me, drenching me till my teeth chattered or would have done if I had been wearing them. Luckily, I had not brought my head with me or the consequences might have been very serious. As it was, I suffered a severe shock to my nervous system and was laid up for the next few days with a very bad cold. <laughs> that poor ghost. It's gotten an awful cold. He sure has, Bob. <laughs> I think you're downright mean, Elmer. Fixing booby traps on the bedroom door. That's right, Virginia. Just think if I'd been the one the water fell on. Mum's got something there, Elmer. Yes, Pop. Well, I'm going right upstairs and leave it a bottle of Dr. Cedric's ever-ready cold cure before we've all gone and caught it. was useless. I gave up all hope of ever frightening this rude American family. From then on, I had to content myself with creeping about the passage in borrowed slippers with a muffler around my throat on account of the drafts. I also thought it advisable to carry a small arquebus in case I should be attacked by the boy. Many a time, as I happen to know, he lay in wait for me, the corridors and stairs bestrewn with nutshells. But in deference to my self-respect, I positively refused to appear. At last, when I did appear or materialize, I took good care to do so in private, merely to stretch my legs, as I did one sunny morning in the tapestry chamber. Poor Mr. Ghost. I mean, Sir Simon, you look so sad. Who wouldn't be a little depressed the way I have been treated? I know. But my young brother, that's Elmer, he's going to school soon, to Eton. To Eton? But that's my old school. Well, he's going anyhow, and then nobody will bother you. If you behave yourself. It is absurd asking me to behave myself. Quite absurd. After all, I am the Canterville ghost. I must rattle my chains occasionally and groan through keyholes and walk about at night, if that's what you mean. It's my only reason for existing at all. It's no reason at all for existing. And you know you've been very wicked. Hmm. Mrs. Omni told us the first day we arrived here that you had killed your wife. Uh, that I admit. It was purely a family matter and concerned no one else. But it's very wrong to kill anyone. You know it is. Oh, how I hate the cheap severity of abstract ethics. My wife was very plain, never had my ruffs properly starched and knew nothing about cookery. Why, there was a buck I had shot in Hogley Woods, a magnificent pricket. And you know how she sent it up to table? Oh, well, it doesn't matter now, I suppose. It's all over. And I don't think it was very nice of her brothers to starve me to death, even though I did kill her. Starve you to death? Mm, yes. Oh, Mr. Ghost, Sir Simon, are you hungry? Is that why you groan so much? Oh, oh no. Look, no. I have a sandwich in my cave. Uh, Would you like no, it? No, no, thank you. I never eat anything now. It is very kind of you, all the same. And you're much nicer than the rest of your horrid, rude, vulgar, dishonest family. Stop it. It's you who are rude and horrid and vulgar. And as for dishonesty, you know you stole the paints out of my box to try and furbish up that ridiculous blood stain in the library. Y yes, but what was I to do? It's a very difficult thing to get real blood nowadays, and your father began it all with his paragon detergent. 
I certainly don't see why I shouldn't have taken your paints in the circumstances. As for color, that's a matter of taste. The Cantervilles actually have blue blood, the very bluest in England. Of course, I know you Americans don't care for things of that kind. You know nothing about it. And the best thing you can do is to emigrate and improve your mind. Emigrate? What? To America? Yes. Don't think I should like America. Really, I don't. I suppose... Because we have no ruins and no curiosities. No curiosities? You have your manners. Good evening. I will go and call my brother. No, 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 please don't go, Miss Virginia. I, I'm so lonely and so unhappy. I, and I really don't know what to do. I, I want to go to sleep, but I can't. That's quite absurd. You've merely to go to bed and blow out the candle. Oh. It is very difficult sometimes to keep awake, especially in church. But there's no difficulty at all about sleeping. Why, even babies know how to do that, and they're not very clever. I have not slept for 300 years. For 300 years I haven't slept a wink, and I'm so tired. Poor, poor ghost. Hmm. Have you no place where you can sleep? Hmm. Far away beyond the pine woods, there is a little garden. There the grass grows long and deep. There are the great white stars of the hemlock flower. And the nightingale sings all night long. All night long he sings. And the cold crystal moon looks down. And the yew tree spreads out its giant arms over the sleepers. You mean the churchyard, the garden of death. Yes. Death must be so beautiful. To lie in the soft brown earth with the grasses waving above one's head and listen to silence. To have no yesterday and no tomorrow. To forget time. To forgive life. To be at peace. You can help me. You can open for me the portals of death's house. For love is always with you. And love is stronger than death is. But how... Tell me how. Have you ever read the old prophecy on the library window? Oh, often. Mm. I know it quite well. Mm -hmm. It's painted in curious black letters, and it's ever so difficult to read. There are six lines, aren't yes, there? Yes, Do you remember them? I think so. When a golden girl can win prayer from out the lips of sin, when the barren almond bears and a little child gives way its tears, then shall all the house be still and peace come to Canterville. But I don't know what they mean. They mean that you must weep for me for my sins because I have no tears and pray with me for my soul because I have no faith. And then if you have always been sweet and good and gentle, the angel of death will have mercy on me. You will see fearful shapes in darkness and wicked voices will whisper in your ear, but they will not harm you. For against the purity of a girl, the powers of hell cannot prevail. I am not afraid, and I will ask the angel to have mercy on you. Then take my hand, Virginia. Have no fear. Come through the wainscoting with me, quickly. Quickly, or it will be too late. Oh, don't take on, Sam, Adam. I'm sure Miss Virginia's all right. Oh, 
can you say that? It's 11 o'clock. It's nearly six hours since anyone saw her. Poor, poor little Virginia. Oh, Hiram, is there any news of her? No, Mom, I'm afraid not. <clears throat> We've combed every inch of the grounds. Half the village has been in to help us. We've been down to the depot. She didn't take the evening train. She's just vanished. Oh, whatever shall we do? What can have happened to her? She isn't in the cock pond, Mom. They've dragged it. Now, quiet, son, now. Don't frighten your mother. Uh oh. Now, the first thing oh. in the morning, I'm going to telegraph for Scotland Yard. I'll have a posse detective set up to comb the entire district. Now, don't worry more than you have to, Mom. She's probably just got lost in the woods picking flowers or something like that. Well, there goes midnight. I guess we'll just have to turn in for the night. No use our sitting up any longer. Come along, honey, now. Don't <laughs> cry. Virginia! Good heavens, child. Where have you been? We can look everywhere for you. All over the countryside. Where have you been? Now, look here, Virginia. Your poor mother has been frightened to death. Now, where on earth have you been? You must never play these practical jokes again. I've been with the ghost. What? He's dead. And you must come and see him. He's back here, in a secret room behind the wall. Here. Come with me, all of you. Come with me. There's nothing to be afraid of anymore. Gosh, a secret passage. There is the ghost. Or rather, there is his body. Where he died... 300 years ago. Gosh, a skeleton chained to the wall. This is where his brothers-in-law starved him to death because he had been very wicked and murdered their sister. But he was very sorry for what he had done. And after he lay down, I stayed with him till he fell asleep at last. And he left me this box of beautiful jewels before he finally died. Hmm? Well, what do you know? Those must be worth ten grand. I prayed for him, like he begged me to do. Poor Sir Simon. Poor, poor ghost. Hey, Pop, look out of this grating here. You know that withered old almond tree in the courtyard? Yeah. Well, it's all covered with blossom. I can see it quite clear in the moonlight. Then his soul is at rest. God has forgiven him. This is Laurence Olivier again. I should like to extend my thanks to the cast of this week's program, who included MacDonald Park, Francis Highland, Howard Marion Crawford, Thelma Ruby, Natalie Benish, and Lois McLean. I shall be back with you again next week when I look forward to the pleasure of both introducing the play and appearing in it myself. Until then, au revoir, and thank you. Olivier starred in today's transcribed program. The script was by Derek Patmore. The music was under the direction of Sidney Torch. 
Theater Royal is an NBC presentation produced and directed by Harry Allen Towers. Tonight, hear Hollywood Story on the NBC Radio Network. The Jack Benny Program, presented by America's largest selling cigarette, Lucky Strike. That's American. Lucky Strike. First again with tobacco men. Yes, first again with the men who really know tobacco, the independent buyers, auctioneers, and warehousemen. And a recent impartial survey reveals that more of these independent tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike regularly than the next two leading brands combined. Remember, these are the experts who, year after year, can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. And for their own personal smoking enjoyment, they choose Lucky Strike. So let this overwhelming preference of the tobacco experts lead you to real deep-down smoking enjoyment. Just light up a Lucky, and puff by puff, you'll see... L-S-M-F-T! L-S-M-F-T! Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, and this fine Lucky Strike tobacco means a world of smoking enjoyment for you. Yes, you'll like Lucky Strike. <laughs> The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, tonight is Halloween, and in Beverly Hills, as in communities all over the country, the little goblins have already started through the neighborhood playing trick or treat. Well, this is the last house in the block. Before we go to the next street, I think we ought to put all the stuff we got in one big bag. You go first, Bobby. I'm Joy. Bobby and me changed masks. Uh, well, it doesn't make any difference. Well, let's all empty our pockets and see what we got. I'll go first. I got a piece of fudge, a stick of gum, and two lollipops. I got an apple, some popcorn, two cookies, and a chocolate bar. I got some lemon drops, a peppermint stick, and a donut. I got a Tootsie Roll, a packet of... <laughs> package of Lifesavers and a can of Strongheart. <laughs> hmm, dog food, huh? Hey, fellas, we're wasting time. Let's get over to the next street and knock on some more doors. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah go. let's go. Hey, Bobby, there's that new kid that moved into the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. Hey, Butch. Hiya, fellas. You playing trick-or-treat, too? Yeah, I've been to every house in the neighborhood. You have? Hey, what do you got in that big gunny sack? A walnut and two jelly beans. <laughs> eh, Beverly Hills. <laughs> Say, Butch, I want you to meet the treasurer of our club, Mr. Jack Benny. Hiya, Mr. Benny. Hello, Butch. You can be very proud that you've met Mr. Benny. I can't? Why? You've just shaken the hand that knocked out Gene Tunney. <laughs> Gosh, Gene Tunney, with that old right cross to that kisser in the third round, right, killer? Well, I, uh, I know that you kids have a tendency to exaggerate. It, it wasn't the seventh round. <laughs> That's what it was, huh? 
And tell Butch why Mr. Benny went to England this year. Yeah, Mr. Benny was the most decorated athlete in the United States Olympic team. <laughs> Gee, what if that was Ian? Are you kidding? In the same afternoon, he won the 100-meter dash, the pole vault, the discus throw, the broad jump, the high hurdles, and the diving contest. Holy smoke. And then he had to run 12 miles back to the Palladium to be in time for his evening performance. <laughs> Gee whiz. And it wasn't easy running with all those medals on. Oh, boy, what an athlete. Yeah, but Mr. Benny doesn't want anybody to know it. He even wears big pads in his coat so his muscles won't show. <laughs> and not, on, not only that, Butch, Mr. Benny's in the movies, too. He made a picture called... Oh, come on, fellas, let's go. <laughs> you know, Halloween will be over before we know it. Now, let's go ring some more doorbells. Okay. Hey, kids, this is the street where Mary Livingston lives. Mary Livingston? Isn't that the girl you said was nuts about you? Yeah, yeah. I'm going over and call on her. Listen, I'll see you back here in a few minutes. Okay. Gee, I hope Mary's maid is out tonight so she'll open the door herself. Boy, will this mask fool her. Trick or treat. Pauline, it's probably some kid. I'll go and see. Mary, it's me. Oh, for heaven's sake. Pauline, come out from under the bed. Oh, did the wolf man go away? It's not a wolf man. It's Mr. Benny. He pulled, pulled his toupee down over his face and cut two eyes in it. <laughs> yeah. Say, Mary, do you mind if I come in and sit down for a few minutes? I'm worn out. Worn out? Why are you so tired? I don't know. I guess I haven't gotten over the Olympics, you know? What? I mean, I walked over from Olympic Boulevard. <laughs> oh, boy. Let me get into that chair. Say, Jack, I received an advanced copy of the Saturday Evening Post, and there's a big article in it about you. There is? Let me see it. Here you are. Oh, yeah. Say, look at that picture of me. Say, I look pretty good, don't I? A lot of color in my face. Put on your glasses. That's an ad for Campbell's tomato soup. Oh. You were looking at a tomato. Thank heaven. I thought I had a stem growing out of my head. <laughs> There's your picture on the other side. Oh, yeah. And there are my writers around the swimming pool. <laughs> what are you laughing at? They look like four gophers coming up for air. <laughs> I can't understand it. I pay them enough to get their teeth straightened. <laughs> Gosh, my feet hurt. Mary, do you mind if I slip off my shoes? No, go right ahead. Okay. <clears throat> ah, that feels better. You know, Mary, we've walked all over the neighborhood. Jack, I know that's a nice bunch of kids who belong to the Beavers Club, but you're too old for them. But, Mary, it's good for kids to have a hero, you know, an idol. Someone they can worship. I know, but what kind of an excuse are you going to give them Wednesday when they find out you weren't elected president? <laughs> That's what worries me. The kids won't believe it, you know. They'll demand a recount. Oh, well, I'll think of something, you know. Mr. Benny! Mr. Benny! We're waiting for you! Oh, the beavers are calling me. I gotta go. <laughs> All right, Claire. I'm glad you stopped by. Yeah, good night, Mary. Good night. Gee, Miss Livingston, did Mr. Benny have to go away so soon? Mm, don't worry, Pauline. He'll be back. Well, how do you know? He forgot his shoes. <laughs> Here. Thanks. 
coming. Now, let's go ring some more doorbells. Yeah, and let's hurry. I gotta be home by 10 o'clock. Me, too. That's what I told me old lady. Butch. Butch, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Now, what kind of language is that for a beaver? Told me old lady. Told me old lady? <laughs> Kids. Kids, beavers. Did you hear that? I didn't hear anything. Neither did I. But you must have heard it. There was an echo when I said, oh, no. No, I'm not going to say that again. Say what? Told me old lady. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even say it then. What's the matter with me, anyway? Oh, well, come on, kids. Come on, let's play some more trick-or-treat. Huh? Hey, Joey, I'm new here. What goes with this jerk? <laughs> he ain't no jerk. He's just tired from the Olympics. Come on, come on, Beaver. Don't lag back. Let's go. Gee, kids, we've walked about three miles since we left Mary's house. Hey, Mr. Benny, isn't this the house where Dennis Day lives? Yeah. Hey, let me go up alone. I want to scare Dennis's mother. You kids wait here. I think I'll look in the front window first, see if Mrs. Day is home. Good, it's open, too. Oh, Dennis! <laughs> Dennis, where are you? I'm in the library, Benita. <laughs> Imitating Ronald Coleman. Now go sit down and finish your dinner. Okay. Say, Mother, why are you carrying that baseball bat? In case some fathead comes to the door to play trick or treat. <laughs> hmm. Dennis, what happened to all the mustard that was in this jar? Oh, I used it to play a Halloween trick. A Halloween trick with mustard? Yeah, I smeared it all over your new nightgown. <laughs> what? You smeared mustard on my new nightgown? Not so loud. You're not supposed to find out till you go to bed. For heaven's sake. Oh, Mother, what are you mad about? I was a good sport last Halloween when I found my suit tied in knots and a dead mouse in my pocket. Oh, that's horrible. Who played a stupid trick like that on you? I did. <laughs> hmm. Every day they're getting babies mixed up in the hospital, but I had to get the right one. <laughs> now, Dennis. Dennis, you've got to rehearse your song for the program. Yes, Mother.
sheltering pond. Oh, honey, wait for me. Boy, I'm getting out of here. I wouldn't go near Mrs. Day with that baseball bat in her hand. Hey, Mr. Benny, did you scare Dennis's mother? No, nah, there was nobody home. Well, I thought I heard somebody singing with a beautiful voice. Oh, that was me. <laughs> Down among the sheltering palms uh, uh, my honey uh, my honey <laughs> Hey, kids. Hey, kids, here's a friend of mine coming down the street. You hide in the bushes, and I'll put on my mask and scare him. Okay. Oh, boy, when he sees his mask, he'll jump out of his skin. Oh, oh, hello, Mr. Kitzel. How'd you recognize me? <laughs> Who else wears button shoes? <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Well, Mr. Kitzel, uh, what are you doing out on the street? You know, don't you know this is Halloween? Yes, I know. This is the night when hobgoblins and spooks and monsters and witches are roaming the streets. Well, then what are you doing out? I'm looking for my wife. <laughs> oh. You know, we went to the movies and we got separated by the crowd. Oh, the movies? Now, what picture did you see? Johnny Belinches. <laughs> no, 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 Mr. Kitzel. Mr. Kitzel, that's Johnny Belinda. Oh. And wasn't Jane Wyman wonderful in that picture? She played such an unusual part. You no, know, she was dumb and she couldn't speak a single word. To have a wife like that. Oh, your wife talks a lot, huh? All the time, all the time. What does she talk about? Who listens? <laughs> you know, I hope someday, you know, tonight especially, that she gets home early so she can straighten up the house. Some kids tipped it over. <laughs> Tipped over your house? Yeah. It must be awfully small. Small? In the morning, if you get out of the right side of the bed, you're in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. If you get out on the left side of the bed, you're in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And if you get out of the front of the bed, you're on the sunset bus. <laughs> you have got a small house. Yeah. Well, goodbye, Mr. Benny. Goodbye, Mr. Kissel. It was nice uh, meeting you again. Likewise, I'm convinced. <laughs> Hey, kids. Hey, kids, Beavers. Beavers, where are you? Well, here we are, Mr. Benny. When you were talking to that man, we rang some more doorbells. Yeah, we're dividing up the stuff we got. We dumped it out on the sidewalk. We got a lollipop, a stick of gum, a penny, a bottle of Coke, and a Tootsie Roll. I'll take the Coca-Cola. I'll take the Tootsie Roll. I'll take the lollipop. Now, it's between you and me, Mr. Benny. Which do you want, the stick of gum or the penny? <laughs> Well, I, I guess I'll take the stick of gum. Okay, get your foot off the penny. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Say, kids, look at while we're in this neighborhood, let's go over to Phil Harris's house. Okay. Ah, 
here we are, boys. This is Mr. Harris's house. Now, look, you kids go up to the door, and I'll hide here behind these bushes. Okay. Huh? No, fellas, this has been an awful tame Halloween. Yeah, let's have some fun. Let's tip over Mr. Harris's trash can. Okay, here goes. buy anything in cans? Now, <laughs> kids, uh, kids go, go, ahead, go ahead and ring the bell. Okay, I'll ring the bell and then we'll all hide. I guess Mr. Harris isn't home. His wife answered the door. Yeah, look at her standing there. Isn't she beautiful? Well, who is it? Who rang the bell? She's beautiful, all right, but she sure got a deep voice. Ah, oh, there you are. Hey, you boys out celebrating Halloween? Uh-huh. Trick or treat. Oh, trick or treat, huh? Well, which would you kids rather have? We'd rather have the treat. Okay, here goes. Oh, won't you come with me to Alabama? There we'll meet my dear old mammy. She's frying eggs and broiling ham. Bell! That's what I like about the South Hyatt, Jackson. <laughs> You with these boys, or are you working solo? <laughs> Look, I'm with the boys, and we're having a lot of fun playing trick-or-treat. Well, I bet you can't wait till Easter when the fuzzy wuzzy bunny rabbit hides a dead a bitsy Never mind that, Phil. You just don't know how to enjoy yourself. Maybe you're right. Come on in, Jackson. Hey, come on in, kids. Okay, come on, Beavers. Come on, Phil, is Alice home? No, Alice took the children to a Halloween party and I had to stay home with her money. <laughs> well, if you ever need a sitter, call me up. <laughs> so you're, you're here all alone, huh? Yeah, but I don't mind, Jackson. I've been sitting here looking through my old picture album, you know, when I was a kid. Can we see them, Mr. Harris? Sure. Hey, look, there's a picture of me in school when I was in the first grade. See it? Gee, what a cute bunch of little kids. But the teacher looks kind of familiar. That ain't the teacher, that's me. <laughs> oh, yeah, you were kind of slow in school, weren't you, Phil? Yeah, the teachers didn't seem to like me either. They were always picking on me. Did they make you stand in the corner? Listen, Junior, I stood in the corner so much I was the only kid in class with a triangular forehead. <laughs> triangular forehead? Gee, how'd you get rid of it? He massaged it till the point went to the top. <laughs> Hey, Phil, this picture here, that, that's Remley, isn't it? Yeah, that's Frankie. <laughs> that picture was taken 18 years ago, the day he got out of school. Oh, on graduation day. Well, why isn't he wearing a cap and gown? Look, Jackson, the school Remley went to, you didn't graduate. You just had to be able to get over the wall. <laughs> oh. Incidentally, he never would have made it if I wasn't there to give him a boost. <laughs> Phil, I think you're just... Oh, uh, excuse me a minute, Jackson. Hello, this is the residence of Phil Harris and Alice Faye. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I didn't know it was you or I'd have given you a top billing. <laughs> no, I'm not alone. Jackson dropped in with a bunch of kids, so I brought out my album and we got to talking about old times. You know, effervescing. That's reminiscing. <laughs> hmm. I know, honey. One of the kids just told me. 
What did you call me for, baby? Huh? Oh, okay, I'll be right over and get you. Well, we've got to run along, Phil. Okay, Jackson, see you tomorrow. So long, kid. Bye. 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 Gee, that Phil Harris is a nice guy. But I wish his wife, Alice Faye, was home. Yeah, she's beautiful. She certainly is. <laughs> she's got the bluest eyes I've ever seen. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Come over here under the street light. Now, come on, kids. We've got about five more houses. Now, now, look at Where we go next? Hey, I know a good Halloween trick. What? Well, there are five of us. Let's go tip over Don Wilson. No. <laughs> well, we mustn't do that. But, but I know what. Let's go over to Mr. Wilson's house anyway. Okay. Come on, beavers. Come on. It's getting late. <laughs> Kids, here, here's Don Wilson's house. Gee, it's dark inside, but the door is open. Look, I better go in alone first. Okay. Now, wait here. Don. Don. Hmm, it's so dark in here. Don. Don, where are you? Jack. Jack, we're in here. Me and the sportsman. Oh. Well, Don, what are you doing in this big house with, with all the lights out? We're telling ghost stories. Jack, we have a wonderful Halloween song we want to do. Yeah? Yeah. There are a few places where you join in, and there's one place where we want you to do a weird, crazy laugh. A weird, crazy laugh? All right. Let's start. Well, we have to wait about 10 seconds yet. Why? We can't start till 9.26 Bull of a Witch time. Oh. <laughs> All right, but look at we've only got about... We've only got about five seconds more. Ready, everybody? on a hill full of spooks but we will frighten them away take off my toupee come with the wolves we will prowl this is our night to howl and we'll hoot like an owl hoot hoot we are the goblins who know where the warm breezes blow and tobacco leaves grow lsmft that's a smoke for me so take a tip from a ghost use tobacco they toast it's the one we like most. Oh, oh. Now? Go. Oh. Now? Yes. Go. <laughs> Aren't we the ones? Whoops. Look, there goes the skeleton. I'm shaking like gelatin. Before you get frightened, you better start lighting the lucky, and then we can go. So take a puff and you'll see, and we're sure you'll agree. And say lucky's for me. They are first again with Tobacco Man. Now, if you hand us our broom, we'll be leaving here soon. And go haunting for F.E. That was 
Wonderful, absolutely wonderful. Well, Jack, uh, maybe we could use it as a commercial on the program sometime. No, and it would scare all the people. Well, I better go. The beavers are waiting for me. So long, Don. So long. Ouch. Hmm. Imagine putting a mouse trap in a fruit bowl. <laughs> If he doesn't want people to eat his fruit, why doesn't he keep it locked up like I do? <laughs> hey, kids. Kids, come on out. We'll... Kids. Now, where did they go? I better give the beaver a call. Oh! <laughs> Gee, that's the beaver's distress signal. I better hurry. Coming, fellas! Coming! Gee, I wonder what happened. I hope it's nothing serious. Well, there they are behind that fence. What happened, fellas? It's what Stevie happened? Stevie tore his pants climbing over the fence. Yes, and I want to go home. Oh, come on, Stevie. That's nothing to cry over. What's so bad about tearing a hole in your pants? I was carrying my rabbit there, and he got away. <laughs> I want to go home. Oh, don't let that rip in your pants spoil our fun. Now, I'll climb over the fence, and I'll fix it for you. <laughs> well, so long, fellas. I better go home, too. We all better go home, huh? Okay, Mr. Benny, but before we break up, we want to say something to you. Yeah, what is it? What is it, man? For he's a jolly good beaver, for he's a jolly good beaver, for he's a jolly good beaver, he's only 39. Ah, <laughs> uh, thanks. Thanks a lot, fellas. Thanks a lot. See you at the next meeting. Good night. Good night. Gee, what a night. Such fun. Ah, it's great to be young. Uh-oh. I wonder... Well, it, it won't hurt to try. Trick or treat? I'm sorry, but I'm only the watchman in this bank. Some people never want to get into the spirit of this thing. <laughs> well, I might as well go home, I guess. Hop, hop, till you drop. Skip, skip, don't you trip. Step on a crack, you break your back. Oh, darn it, I stepped on one. <laughs> Man, nobody saw me. <laughs> La 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 For I'm a jolly good beaver For I'm a jolly good beaver For I'm a jolly good beaver Why don't I pay my dues? Why don't I pay my dues? Jack, we'll be back in just a moment, but first... 
A recent impartial survey covering all the southern tobacco markets reveals Lucky Strike, first again with tobacco men. Yes, more independent tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike regularly than the next two leading brands combined. Excuse me, but who are these tobacco experts? They're the independent auctioneers, buyers, and warehousemen, men with years of experience buying, selling, and handling tobacco. And it's important for you to know that more of these independent tobacco experts smoke Lucky Strike regularly than the next two leading brands combined. You've heard the survey results. Now here's what Mr. James Alfred Walker, veteran independent tobacco buyer, who's attended more than 3,000 tobacco auctions recently said. At market after market, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy good ripe tobacco, that smooth, fragrant, fine tobacco that makes a real fine smoke. So it's only common sense for me to pick Lucky's for my own cigarette. Smoked them for 17 years. A Lucky Strike smoker for 17 years. And remember, Mr. Walker, like you, looks to the cigarette he smokes for enjoyment. Real deep down smoking enjoyment. So light up a Lucky yourself, and puff by puff, you'll see. L-S-M-F-T. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, and this fine Lucky Strike tobacco means real deep down smoking enjoyment for you. Yes, puff by puff, pack by pack. You'll like Lucky Strike. Good night, everybody. <clears throat> this is NBC, the national broadcasting company.